0: Hebrews, though, uh, is this book that uh, has a lot of Old Testament quotes. There's a lot we don't know about Hebrews. You you may have actually, if you are either a Jeopardy fan or you you follow news that gives you these just interesting little tidbits, there was this uproar over a Jeopardy clue in Final Jeopardy. And I I wrote it down because I didn't want to forget it. The the clue or answer, however, you know, whatever. uh, Paul's letter to them is the New Testament epistle with the most Old Testament quotations. And um, and the the answer that they accepted was Hebrews, which is the wrong answer. Uh, you know, there's one, one, uh, one takeaway is, you know, don't go to Jeopardy for your Bible knowledge. Uh, they, they even doubled down on it, the executives, and they have a statement afterwards, and they checked with a seminary student, um, which... This uh, is interesting. I was like, maybe check with a different seminary student or professor next time. And so part of it is that, uh, you know, church history is not always clean. There's there's mess and there's disagreement. But the the majority of folks, theologians, scholars, uh, would say that Paul did not write Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know who the audience is. Uh, we don't know the specifics. But we do know that it was written to uh Hebrews comes because we know that it was written to a group of Jewish Christians. And, and so that's what we know at this point. But we don't know who it was. It probably was not Paul. It, it, actually, interestingly, Romans probably has more quotations and citations of the Old Testament, which is very clearly a Pauline epistle. So, again, don't go to jeopardy for your Bible knowledge. Um, they, they doubled down. They stood by that, uh, that response, that answer, whatever. Um, but what we do find is that there is this, because it is written to Hebrews, there is a lot of connection to the Old Testament and and a lot of here is why Jesus is better than the other options because the Hebrews are facing, we'll get to this later, they're they're facing a lot of struggles. They're, they're, they're being persecuted. Now, the writer of, of Hebrews notes that It hasn't yet come to the point of them losing their lives, but not yet. So it's maybe heading in that direction, and they've lost a lot, and so they're tempted to turn back to other things as their foundation and their hope. And the writer of Hebrews, which maybe is actually even more of a sermon than a letter, though it is written down, is saying Jesus is better. Now some of these things that we're going to look at over the next number of weeks— are not necessarily things that we might be tempted to think are better than Jesus, and yet there are all kinds of things in our own lives that we're tempted to think are better than Jesus, that we would find more hope there, more satisfaction there, and and continually the writer of Hebrews is saying Jesus is better and superior to any of those other options. And so as we come here to the beginning, to these first four verses we find that we're already beginning with Jesus is better. And there's so much packed into these four verses that we could spend a ton of time. And I'm tempted to do that. I'm not going to do that this morning. Don't worry. And, uh, and I'm only going to do one week here because what the writer is doing here is he's introducing a number of themes that are going to continue throughout the book. And so we're going to begin to hit on some of these themes. But one of the things he's doing is he's saying, God is speaking And we have the opportunity to hear what God is saying to us. God spoke to our fathers, that is the patriarchs, that is the the people of God that went before in many times, in many ways, he says in verse one. But now he's speaking to us and he's speaking through Jesus and he's saying it's better. This way of speaking is better. And we desperately need this. We desperately need for God to speak to us in the midst of all of the competing stories, about what is true and what is important and what matters, we need a word from the creator to say this is who I am as the one who created all things and this is who you are and this is how we, we live in light of that. This is the truth that we are to know. God is speaking these things and giving us great hope as he speaks through Jesus. He's speaking into so much unknown, so many questions that we have. I recently read, a book called The Traitor and the Spy, which I highly recommend, and it's about a KGB agent who was a spy for the British government in the 70s and 80s, in the midst of the Cold War, which I kind of grew up in, so it's all that much more fascinating to me. And there was this reality that the West did not understand how the KGB worked, and the KGB was the intelligence of the USSR, the Soviet Union, and uh, they were a scary bunch, right? Right. But if we have watched any movies or anything about the KGB, they're a scary bunch, but there was a reality that the West didn't know how they operated or how they thought. It was very foreign to them. There was, it was like a black hole. And Oleg Gordievsky, this spy, this KGB agent, was able to speak into what was going on. And, and, and some might argue that he helped avoid uh, nuclear war because there was a moment in which the KGB was certain that the West, was creating a scenario in which they could use nuclear weapons first and strike the USSR. And and the, the conversation at that point was, if we entered into nuclear war, it was essentially mutually assured destruction. Like the, the world was gonna be destroyed by nuclear weapons if we just start lobbing them back and forth at one another. But because of that, because the, the USSR was, was certain that this was a case they were looking for clues to support their suspicion that America and the West was trying to figure out a way to strike first. And Gordieschi, this spy, was able to alert the CIA and MI6 and other leaders about what was going on so that they could respond accordingly. And they could maybe dial down, and they did. They dialed down some of the rhetoric and conversation. And as you may know, there was not a nuclear war in the 80s. And, and some say that that comes because you had this guy telling the West what was happening in this place that they did not know what was going on. In a much more significant and meaningful way that matters to all of us in all of history, we, there's so much unknown that we have about the reality of who God is, of how he works, of even who we are. Our our hearts don't even understand who we are, right? And so God is saying, let me speak into that and bring you hope, give you truth to understand what is going on in the world. And the way that I'm gonna speak is through Jesus. It's through the son of God. Long ago, many times, many ways, there were all kinds of ways, right? Burning bush, prophets, dreams, speaking just directly to different people uh, in history. and, And we like long for those moments. And these Hebrew Christians, they would have longed for the moment that God would just speak to them, like with a voice, with this clear knowledge of what God was saying. And yet what he says is, I've given you my son, Jesus, he's speaking and this is better. In these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son, and he's going to tell us again and again that this is better than the ways that he has done it in the past. That's not often the way we think. We think, okay, if I could have God speak to me in any particular way, what would it be? We'd like him to show up to us in a dream or just to speak audibly to us. But what God is saying is what I've given you is enough. And that it's actually the best way. And so what we see is because God has spoken to us through his son, that this word that he has spoken is First of all, it's his final word. Secondly, it's a trustworthy word. And thirdly, it's an accessible word. Now, my intro was long. Doesn't mean the whole thing's gonna be long, but these are the things that we're gonna look at. Let me me pray as we look at these three points. Lord, we do pray that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would speak to us through your scripture, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. First of all, this word that he speaks to his son is the final word. Verse 2, he notes that in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. What is the idea of last days here? Sometimes we think it's, you know, the, there's just a few days left. It's the end. The last days of break or the few days at the end. This theme of last days is something that occurs throughout scripture. We find it in Joel 2, quoted in Acts 2. We see it in First Peter chapter 1. It's actually describing a different age. So there is the, the old way in which God dealt with and talked to and spoke to his people through the prophets. But now in this age, this system of the world working in which God is doing redemptive history and redemptive work with his people, this is the last days because there, there is nothing more to be revealed, nothing more to come. We already know how it ends. He's already told us in this revelation, this explanation of Jesus in his return, that this is what's going to happen. And so there's not need for more. And there are a few things that we learn from that. We find that one, clearly this is better than what happened before. So all the prophets and the hearers of the prophets and Abraham and David and all of those that went before that God spoke to, they didn't know the final story. They, they put trust in God without knowing where it was going and how it was going to end. And he's saying here is the way that it is. That, that should bring us encouragement to have this picture of what's going to happen. We talked about this during Advent, that, that Advent is, is really, in church history, a looking to the second coming of Jesus when he returns and makes all things right. But that's part of the story that he's revealed. The story of Jesus is the last days. He begins it with his first coming, and he ends it with a second coming, but that has all been revealed to us. We don't know exactly when, and sometimes we wish that the last days would be a little bit shorter, that they, they come, Lord Jesus come quickly, as we find at the end of Revelation. And sometimes that is rightly our attitude, but we do know that it does get wrapped up. We're in this God working in history, moving toward an end. Not toward a, a, a cycle that some worldviews would have, that it's all going to go in a circle. No, there is an end to come. And I think that's something we long for, we're created for, in fact. I think about it as so many TV shows these days, they, you get to the end of a season, and you're hoping for some closure, and you just get more questions because they're building to another season. Because they want you, to, I think ultimately it's marketing and economics, right? They want you to watch another season. I, I remember when this first happened, Is uh, we used to watch, you know, this is just how old I am. We used to watch 24, and that was uh, a show that we loved. And uh, at 24, at the end of every season, one of the things that I liked about it was it brought closure to that specific storyline. Now, it would give hints of more to come, of a, kind of a different storyline for the next season, but there was closure. And then we watched Lost, And I got to the end of season one. I was so excited. What's going to be in the hatch? And it was like more questions, zero answers, only more questions. I'm like, I'm done with this show. That's now all like, if you want to watch a TV series, like you're not going to get any answers. You're just going to get a, Hey, you got to tune in next season, but there's a satisfaction to having closure, right? There's a satisfaction. We're made for that. And God is telling us that the ultimate story, what, what, um, J.R. Tolkien calls the ultimate uh, fairy story is the true and real story of God's work in this world. And there is closure. There is an end that is given. The implication of that is, is one, that we can have hope in the promises of God because he's told us how it's going to end. It's, it's also that if, it does, if, if something is out there that doesn't line up with the word of God, it, it, it is not acceptable. It doesn't fit. He's saying, here's what you need to know and if you hear something, if you're told something that is, that is outside of that, that uh, it's not true. And, and, and we think about that as we are in a world that says, you know, it's all the same. All religions are the same. All worldviews are the same. They're just different ways of thinking about what is true. But that's not the way that any religion actually works. There's often a lot of conflicting claims to what is true. They, they don't fit together just as like in this nice picture. There's the, the claim of scripture is this is the truth. Now, I think it is worthy to spend time saying, why is it that we believe this particular story about history and God and the world? And there are a lot of reasons to do that. We encourage thinking deeply about those things, not just brushing past, oh, it's just faith, just move forward. No, that's not what we're saying. We talk about... Uh, Things, Resources like Reason for God, which Tim Keller a number of years ago took some of the biggest questions about doubts about Christianity. says, okay, let's think about those and address those doubts. And he addresses scripture in particular in one of those chapters. And that's just one of many resources. Rebecca McLaughlin more recently has a book called Confronting Christianity. What are the questions we have about Christianity? Let's think and talk about those things. It's absolutely appropriate to do that but to recognize that there is a claim here in Scripture that this is what is true about God and you and me and how we live and interact in this world. And that is a good and beautiful thing that he has given us. It also means that there's not more revelation that we need. We don't need God to show up in a vision. We don't need an extra revelation from him. We don't, we don't what sometimes even happens in the church is, I I, I prayed about this thing, and and so now I know that this is the answer. And sometimes that's contrary to what scripture calls us to do, but I prayed about it. And the reality is, if it's contrary to God's revelation of himself and his word that he spoke to us through Jesus, then, then it's actually not what he has for us. So we don't need extra words of revelation. We have what we need here with this final word. We do need at times, other people to help us understand it. We need the church. We need prayer is powerful to, to help us walk through, but we're always comparing it to this foundation. This is why, as a church, every sermon is based on a piece of scripture. It's not just my thoughts about how we live and what's a good philosophical way to engage the world. No, we're looking at what does the Bible say about who we are and who God is and how we walk forward in this world. Because he's given us this final word, we can can actually rejoice in that. We can take confidence in it. We can engage it in a way that recognizes God is revealing himself to us. He is speaking to us. God, creator of the universe, is speaking to us. If we believe that, it, it changes everything about the way that we interact with scripture, the way that we interact with one another. Not only is this the final word, it is a trustworthy word. And he he explains that as he says he has spoken to us through his son. And then the writer here tells us about who the son is that speaks. It is powerful what he says. I mean, we could take any one of these statements and just be in wonder and awe at who Jesus is. But this matters. Because if he's speaking to us and he's saying this is true and this is trustworthy, who he is matters. One, there's the whole question of character. And God's character is one of truth and righteousness and holiness, so we can trust that. But it's also one of, is he able to deliver? Because there are promises about his return and making all things right, about the final end to these last days that we are living in now. But if he's not able to actually follow through, if he's not powerful enough to accomplish it, then there's no reason to have trust in it. It's the the most cringeworthy episode of The Office. You all know it. It's Scott's Tots. And Scott's Tots is about Michael Scott, who's the boss in The Office, who just wants everybody to like him. And he makes this promise to a group of kindergartners that if they graduate from high school, he's going to pay for college for all of them. Uh, And it is... It gets to the point they're actually seniors in high school. That's where the episode is. And all along, they have celebrated Michael Scott and this promise that he has made to them that has helped them get through. And the reality is we know Michael Scott has zero ability to pay for one college education, much less a whole class, right? He is not able to deliver. As much as he would like to, he is not able to deliver on this promise. And it is incredibly cringeworthy to to see them celebrating him and then him have to get up in front of the class and say... I'm not going to be able to pay for it. Uh, And uh, this is the reality in which we live. People make us promises a lot. But if they're not able to deliver on it, then it's not a promise that we can trust. Who is promising us that I'm telling you the truth and that all these things are true? Listen, I'll I'll skip one of them and move to uh, this picture of Jesus as god we 're get, getting into Trinity here, which i 'm um, not going to try to explain fully. Uh, I, I highly recommend this book that 's fairly new to me it 's called Delighting in the trinity uh, it 's not a very thick book down in michael reeves and it is the, the title is appropriate delighting it 's really a beautiful book about the beauty of the trinity it 's not just let 's take this theological thing and put illustrations on it and try to figure it out it, it is uh, beautiful demonstration of the Trinity and its implications for us. So I highly recommend uh, this book. Um, You can ask me about it afterwards if you forget. Uh, So there are Trinity issues here. We see it when it says in verse three, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It, It is equating Jesus and God here And saying, not only are they equal, they are the same. Even if we think about this idea of the radiance of the glory of God, uh, that first one, uh, I actually will read from this book. There's a quote from Gregory of Nyssa, who was a uh, fourth, fourth century theologian, so going way back. And he says, as the light from the lamp is of the nature of that which sheds the brightness and is unif- united with it. So the, the lamp is connected to the, to the brightness that shines from it. For as soon as the lamp appears, the light that comes from it shines out simultaneously. So in this place, the apostle would have us consider both that the son is of the father, and that the father is never without the son, for it is impossible that the glory should be without the radiance. And it's impossible that the lamp should be without the brightness. Now, lamps in modern time have uh, electricity, right? And so you can flip it on and off. So if you take that out of the illustration, the illustration would break down at that point. Let's say it's a flame, right? You have a flame. You do not have a flame without it shining forth light. And you don't have the light without the flame. The, the two things are absolutely connected. You don't have glory without radiance, and you don't have radiance without glory. There's this picture of these two things being together. They cannot be separated. And this is Jesus, the radiance of the glory of God. He is God Himself. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And the nature being this, it's the, the word, the Greek word is hypostasis, and it's this picture of being, the very being, the very core of who God is, Jesus is the exact imprint of that. He is the same at the core, at the foundation, at the being of who he is. So this statement is huge about who Jesus is. I mean, we we find it as well in John chapter one, that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That's the word that, in verse 14 of John one, uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. So there is this picture of God, of Jesus being Himself, God, the second person of the Trinity. He is then the heir of all things, all things. He created the world. I mean, all of these statements whom he appointed heir of all things at the end of verse two, through whom he created the world. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He sustains all that there is. He now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is this picture that we find. Not only here, Colossians 1 tells us this beautiful picture in verses 15 through 20 of who Jesus is. as the one who was there and created all things. All things were created in him and through him and for him. This is who he is. This beautiful picture. He upholds the universe. When, when Jesus himself calls the disciples to go forth and tell others the good news of the gospel, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, And the Holy Spirit, he says that you should do this because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus, who now sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. We find this in Luke chapter 22, verse 69, that he is sitting now after ascended, after the resurrection, reigning and ruling at the right hand of the Father now. All of these statements, any one of these statements is this mind-blowing, powerful picture of who Jesus is. He is able to deliver on his promises. He is the word that is certain and sure. He is trustworthy. Pick any one of these phrases and be in awe and wonder of who Jesus is. There is nothing better. The writer of Hebrews here is gonna continue to say that there's nothing better than Jesus himself and he speaks to you and to me. And we celebrate in that. And, and then he speaks to us. We now know, again, we preach from the Bible every week because there's a picture of God revealing himself through the gospel in the New Testament. And that Jesus himself creates this word of God, this scripture that we have before us. And we're getting a, a little bit into some of the questions that come, and I think it's appropriate to do so. We, we hear stories from the Da Vinci Code, another just you know equally good to Jeopardy as a place to find uh, truth, uh, where we we get these these theories that are widely accepted, right? That the Bible and its canon was created by those in power, Constantine in the fourth century, that he created the Bible along with a group of people, so that they could have power, right? Like, that's the story that we hear. But the the real picture is that Jesus creates the church and the scripture himself, that Jesus lived out and proclaimed good news, that he gave it to the apostles who came, and that, that they wrote it down and said, here is the word. And yes, there are points at which churches would say, yeah, that doesn't actually fit this thing, this gospel of Thomas, it doesn't actually fit with the gospel, with what Jesus has lived and done and proclaimed and the gospels, uh, the apostles afterwards said, here's what is true. There, there's another great resource that I'll suggest to you by uh, a Dutch theologian named Herman yeah, uh, Ritterbos. And uh, it's called Redemptive History and the New Testament Scriptures. Redemptive History and the New Testament Scriptures. And this was one that was uh, shaping for me uh, in seminary and it does a really good job of explaining the, the path of the Word of God coming through God Himself, lived out, proclaimed orally, and written down in the scriptures that we have now. And again, if these things are true, right, then they absolutely deserve, let's spend some time here. Because I know that there are claims and, out there that are different. And there are questions that you yourself might have. Let's engage in those conversations. But if this is even remotely true, then let's take the time to do that work, to address the doubts that we have. It's worth putting effort into that. Because if this isn't true, then, then we all become our own judge and the, we all decide what's true. And, and really, let's just pack it in and go home because we, we don't need... The word. We don't need the scripture. We don't need one another. We just figure it out on our own. But what we find is God has revealed Himself through His Word, and that it is trustworthy for us. And as the the world rapidly changes around us, and as the claims of what are true rapidly change around us, we have this Word that is speaking the same truth to us again and again, and we can find great hope and confidence in it, and we should. And we should pursue it. We should make it a part of our own lives. We think about this idea of what is foundational and what is core to life. And what we're called to is find that Jesus, the one who is better than everything else, is our core and is our hope. And we're able to do that. We're able to find trust there. We're able to trust in this final word that he's given us because ultimately it is an accessible word. So not only is it the final word, not only is it a trustworthy word, it is an accessible word to you and to me. We find in verse two, He's spoken to the fathers, to our fathers, by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us. And this is the same truth that Jesus, when He gives that great commission, when He says, "All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me," He sends them out to teach these truths to others, that they would do the same. That they would. This would be this ongoing work of the church to proclaim these truths to each successive generation and to those outside the church that we would proclaim these truths. This is a word for us. And so as we trust in these scriptures, as we take time to deal with our our doubts and deal with those questions that we may have and those that would disagree, let's do that, but then let's recognize that this is given to us to hope in and to find truth in, and to shape our lives. And, and we find here, and the writer of Hebrews is going to get to this in much more detail in the passages and chapters to come, but the other reason that this is accessible is, if you remember, just to the ideas, the, the basic general ideas of Leviticus, is, and really all of Scripture, is that there's a problem, that we have a problem, that we have turned away from him, that the fall that affects us all is about our rebellion against God. And that because of our rebellion and because of our sin and our selfishness, this holy, perfect God cannot be in relationship with us. But from the very beginning, he's made a way. He's made a way to cover our brokenness and our sin. And this is what Jesus ultimately does. We find in verse three, after making purification for sins, that's when he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He makes purification for our sin. He covers our brokenness. We have that confession of sin every week, followed by the assurance of pardon because of what he's done for us. And what he's done for us is to draw us in to his family. That has allowed us access to him. His word, revealing himself, the truth about even his purification for our sins, invites us into his family. It invites us into relationship with the creator. This holy God has dealt with sin so that he could be our foundation, so that we could be in this relationship with him that drives us, that motivates us, that directs us, that empowers us. All of this is because of what he's done for us. And so we come to this word that is trustworthy and true and hopeful, that it's better than all of the other things that we might be tempted to believe and trust in. And those voices and those claims are all around us. And the writer of Hebrews and really the writer of all scriptures are telling us again and again, Jesus is better. Come and experience him. Trust his truth and his revelation of himself and of us so that we might experience relationship with the Lord. Let's pray.